This season is sponsored by The Empowered Musician. The Empowered Musician, founded by Dr. Dana Lynn Varga, helps musicians to forge their own path with pride. Dana is a fierce advocate for singers and a leader in moving the classical vocal industry forward. Through the EM website, you can read Dana's articles, schedule one-on-one career coachings, book Dana for a speaking engagement, or sign up for her upcoming affordable six-class series called Everything You Need to Know About Entrepreneurship for Singers, which starts on April 10th. The Empowered Musician also has incredible artists on staff, offering voice lessons, musicianship lessons, and both dramatic coachings and repertoire diversification sessions for singers. Voice lessons are available for a wide range of ages, levels, and genres, and their highly sought-after teachers are accessible from anywhere in the world through virtual lessons as well as eventually in-person in multiple cities. Keep an eye out for additional professional development courses, such as acting for singers, body mapping for musicians, intro to jazz singing, and more. Be sure to check out www.theempoweredmusician.com. Welcome to My So-Called Opera Life, a podcast for opera singers by opera singers, where we work to connect, inform, empower, and inspire musicians at all levels and stages of their career. Each episode, we'll explore a piece of the never-ending puzzle of the so-called opera life, humble brags and therapeutic complaints, as well as practical information about how this business works, each piece helping you on your journey towards success, which we believe should really mean happiness. I'm Marcel. And I'm Elise. And we're two sopranos trying to live our best so-called opera lives. We are so honored and excited to have this conversation on our podcast today. Today we have Veronica Chapman-Smith, who Elise works with at Opera Philadelphia. Yes. I'm a teaching artist at Opera Philly, and I'm not sure what role Veronica had prior to her role. She's currently the VP of Community Initiatives at Opera Philly. I'm not sure what role she had before, but I've been with um, Opera Philly for around three years now, and she stepped into the role about a year ago. Yeah, I think she's mentioned that her previous title was Director of Community Initiatives, so they've They've restructured, I guess, a little bit. She talks with us about what does it look like to start to do the anti-racist and anti-oppression work that we've been talking about all season with individual artists and smaller kind of creative collectives. And so we talk with her about like, what does that look like in the structure of a much larger organization, Mm -hmm. you know, and what are the conversations they're having and what are the questions they're asking? Because this is certainly a complex, nuanced conversation And I mean, I thought her answers were, you know, the things that she shared with us were so thoughtful. And I feel actually very hopeful. I I certainly know about myself that I can feel really down about how hard this work is. And like, it's work we have to do and I'm committed to doing. But sometimes it feels like a mountain we can't climb. And to just know that there's an organization like Opera Philadelphia, like trying to change their culture and ask these really hard questions and be committed to creating space for this kind of change is really, really heartening for Mm me. Yeah. I, I feel like I appreciated and learned from her perspective of acknowledgement, acknowledging what's difficult, acknowledging what is happening and what could happen as all the possibilities. And 
I think it just speaks to just the awareness that you need and the of of every kind of facet and and yeah it was I was really I was glad to talk with her about all those things and I know we were really interested in talking with an opera company that from that perspective of you know pushing the needle when there's not just one individual which is a lot more challenging and a lot more complex I -hmm. think Mm -hmm. but also like I think you know it really the conversation with her underscored something that I think is really true of this work, right? Is that one, the success of this work is dependent on relationship and conversation, which then also means that it's dependent as an underpinning to that on every person being committed to doing the work on themselves and being Mm -hmm. committed to trying to be a better human all the time. Yep. You know, and so like certainly our season so far is kind of focused on this individual kind of lens but then to like zoom out to a larger structure and hear that like this is that's still still the work that has to be there so like even if we want to burn the institutions down that doesn't absolve us from doing the work on ourselves as individuals right right yeah so true so we hope you enjoyed this conversation i certainly learned a lot and it was very interesting to talk with her and we are so thankful for veronica to coming on and speaking with us yes thank you so much Enjoy. Well, thank you so much for joining us. I'm excited to have this conversation today. Can you, Veronica, just tell us who you are and what your, I'm sure there are many roles that you fill in this, in this industry, but what are those roles? What is your background? Sure. Uh, Thank you for having me. My name is Veronica Chapman Smith. I am the Vice President of Community Initiatives for Opera Philadelphia, as well as a core member of their Opera Corps. So under my Vice President of Community Initiatives hat, I kind of help guide our education and community programming in Philadelphia and beyond. And then as a chorister, I have been on the roster for 19 years doing obviously chorus work as well as soloist work. But then I've also been, I was a singer for 16 years and that was my main profession before coming to Opera Philadelphia in the office. Wow. Amazing. Where, where are you from? I'm West Philadelphia, born and raised. Yes, wow. I did that All on right. purpose. <laughs> um, <laughs> I so love it. I, I grew up in the Mantua section of Philadelphia. That's close to where like the zoo and a little bit uh, outside of University City section of Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. I lived there for most of my life and my parents moved to Overbrook. So I'm from Philadelphia. I went to Temple University for my undergraduate and my graduate degrees uh, in vocal performance. and just kind of never left. This is my, this is my home. Amazing. Great. Great. I love that. So I have a question actually about your role as vice president of community initiatives. And so uh, that will kind of jump us into, I think, the conversation we have at hand, because it's been, you know, a conversation we've had on the podcast actually in the last few weeks with some other guests about like, as opera companies, you know, want to engage new audiences to the art form and they try sometimes to reach out to Spanish-speaking communities and Black communities and other communities of color who aren't right, the tr- traditionally what we think of as the opera audience, but often miss the mark because they are doing it for the community rather than with. And I just was curious to kind of 
see what your thoughts were about what that looks like for Opera Philadelphia and what does it look like to bring in a community that normally we don't see in the Opera House? That is a very complex question. (laughs) (laughs) We have been having this conversation with ourselves within our walls for actually before the pandemic of like, how do we become an organization that is really part of a greater Philadelphia community, not just the people that we currently serve, but also the people who have been historically marginalized from the conversation around and engagement with classical arts. And so, I mean, one of the ideas is that you should never make art about somebody without somebody, right? Nothing Mm -hmm. about us without us. And so really making sure that if we're are interested in telling a story, making sure that those stories are being told by people who have the lived experience to tell the stories authentically, but then also giving them agency and authority to tell these stories, making sure that yes, representation matters, making sure that we have representation not only on the stage and in the staff, but also in the boardroom and through the creatives that make something happen. And so these are the questions that we're asking ourselves. How can we create space like that and honestly share power with other communities and other people so that they can feel like they are part of the conversation and belong in our space? And it's still it's still something that we're trying to figure out because it's not, as I said, a simple answer. It's right. truly complex. Yeah. I work as a teaching artist with Opera Philly, so I know some of the stuff and I've just like been aware of some of the things in the past that I've not even been a part of, but community initiatives, like the way Opera Philly works, it can be like directly related to what goes up on the stage. Like, and what comes to mind is like, we shall not be moved, but maybe before we like jump into like specific projects, what is your role? What is the definition of being the VP of community initiatives mean? It really is somebody who is helping to guide the company's vision and way forward in like community partnerships, engagement, and education that can also look like uh, working in tandem with the marketing department about audience engagement in that respect, making sure that we're being thoughtful and using a critical lens when we're talking about audience engagement. And when I say critical lens, I mean, making sure we're critical of ourselves, not the audience. Let's just be clear. We're talking about how are we being good at creating a space where people can bring their whole authentic self into our space. It also means working with some of the people in the development space, talking about the way in which we try to seek funding and the way in which we tell the narrative of our programs in a way that is not through a lens of oppression and making it sound like we're going into a space and saving a child. We are actually going into a space and helping to hold space Mm. and creating a space for them to grow and be nourished in the way that they need without us putting preconceived ideas on them. It's really looking at the way in which we talk about our our stories and look at our programs and talking to funders about our programs, not looking at it through like this deficit mindset, but also looking, looking at it through like a lens of like, how can we create and foster a space where children can thrive and grow, but being very mindful that we are predominantly white institution and we are not going in there to save anybody. People right. already have the agency to save themselves. We are just making sure that we are removing barriers for them. Right. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Do you know, is this something that every opera company has a, a community initiatives person? I mean, they're not labeled as such, but most organizations 
of a certain, even some of the smaller ones, but of a certain level, have somebody who's, especially now after the pandemic, either have somebody who is specifically focused on education and community engagement, or they're called like strategic community partners. I mean, Dallas has a wonderful group of people, especially one person in particular in their organization that talks about company culture. And it's really kind of taking a very thoughtful look at the way in which upper companies are organized and can help to break down some of the systemic issues within their organizations that have historically marginalized people. Most companies now have somebody in this space. And if they don't, they're already in the works to try to create a space like this because it's yeah. necessary. It won't right. fix itself all by itself. Right. right. I wonder what the history of, of the role was, like community initiatives and what the primary, you've talked some about what the primary focus I think of a community initiatives person is, but it's also, if you don't know what it's about, it's also about building your audience and opening up the doors for more people to learn about yeah. the company. Is that, yeah, I think that... historically we, we tended to be, and I'm sure somebody will correct me, but I think historically in our space, community initiatives was primarily about education and community engagement and didn't have that kind of anti-racist lens on it and like the equity lens on it. I think the individual who held the space might have had that kind of lens, but as a job description, it did not have that space. Mm, that's what um, I was And wondering. now it has been... Uh, written into the current job description that that is something that we are trying to incorporate in many aspects of Opera Philadelphia. And because I started this job, the vice presidency two weeks ago, I can say that it was intentionally written into my job. Okay. Yeah, that's what I was wondering. Opera at Philly has always been, from what I've seen, has always been like trying to use education as a way to like be a part of the community, I guess, and not just be a just go and see. Like, I've always seen them out trying to, like, do things. But it always, I was wondering what you what you were going to say about, like, what it, what it used, what that role used to be and what it is now. So that's Yeah, and I mean, to that point, point, at least, like, I think we historically would go in and use education as a way of saying, like, look what we have. Look at how great it is. Let me teach you about what I have. And that's not really the way I think about education. I think about education as a way, as a conversation and not as a lecture. Hmm. And so that was kind of the way we went with this virtual space, trying to create a space where we, a virtual space, <laughs> where we could have, be in conversation and dialogue with the communities that we were partnerships with. So we went in with an idea of like, we want to do a residency program, but we didn't have a preconceived idea of like, it has to be this, 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 and this. And at the end, we're going to do an opera. We went in, talked to the teachers, asked the teachers what they needed, what would be best for each individual classroom, to be quite honest, which could be a little bit messy, but it was necessary. In the end, we actually ended up creating opera. We just, that was never our goal. It, we went from like a product-based kind of thought about engagement to a process-based, as in like the process of creating community was the most important thing and not creating an opera at the end where every kid had a role and every kid made a costume and every that that was never our goal it was more about creating community and i think that's the way we're going to think about it moving forward granted as we move forward it will probably be just a, very similar to what we experienced in this last semester where we're like we're about process we're about creating community but in that creation of community and conversation, we end up with an opera. And that's great. I'm okay with that. Right. <laughs> right. 
Right, because art brings people together, right? <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah. Beautiful. It makes me think of the opera, We Shall Not Be Moved, because, well, I just gave a lecture on that, so now I like know, I know more of the... I don't know everything, but We Shall Not Be Moved was actually inspired by one of the residency programs at Opera Philadelphia, right? Correct. It was a residency with Esperanza Academy Charter School. Yep. I mean, that's an opera for our audience, for listeners, that's an opera that Opera Philly did in 2017. I'm I'm going to say yes, because uh, <laughs> off the top of my head, I can't remember all my years. I just kind of did. Together, I just... <laughs> so I'm going to say yes. <laughs> For audience members who don't know, that opera is a, about the move bombing that happened in Philadelphia. It Was that in the 80s? Yeah. And we actually... It, it uses the move bombing as the background for the storytelling, but the story is really about a collection of individuals who have selected each other to be their family and how they navigate a situation that has arised in their life. Right. Because we don't really, I mean, yes, the move bombing is part of the storytelling, but it is not the story of the move bombing. Right. So, and and I'm, I guess I'm curious, based off of Elise's question, like what, you you did that in partnership with Esperanza, which is an organization that I love because <laughs> they do lots of work for me and my fellow Latinos in the city. But I was wondering, like, was there community engagement in like, or and if so, like, what did that look like in the like the development of that piece? So that happened with the person who came before me. Uh, okay. He did most of that engagement. That was not myself. Um, and that happened from what I understand. There was an after-school program that was kind of like the hip opera after-school program where it was about finding ways for kids to have a creative outlet. And it was through poetry and writing. So some of that creative writing happened in an after-school setting. Daniel Bernard Romain was brought in to kind of work with the students on different ways of incorporating music into what they had created. And that gave him the idea to go and create We Shall Not Be Moved. So it was kind um, of like the muse, if you would like to say. Right, That's right. amazing. And really kind of helped push some of his thinking towards cre right. the creation of the piece. Totally. Yeah, that's amazing. This season, we're sponsored by Conduit Studios. Marcel, how's the technology going for you? Oh, I don't know about you, Elise, but I am stressed out about tech on top of everything else in this fucking pandemic. Agreed. Conduit Studios is a production company that specializes in high-quality video and audio capture for creatives, run by musicians who understand your artistic needs. They offer high-quality, dynamic, multi-camera performance capture, which is perfect for concerts, auditions, live streams, and more. They are in an affordable and accessible way to elevate your digital presence. You can enjoy a low-stress, relaxed environment to record in so you can focus on your art, and they'll take care of the rest. Conduit Studios is based in Southern California, but they service many clients nationwide. Visit conduitstudiosmedia.com for more information or to schedule a session. So another thing that Opera Philadelphia did during the pandemic that you hosted was the Reimagine the Opera Canon lecture, which I think was part of like a larger series for Opera Philly. Can you tell us a little bit about it? Yes. So during the last year, uh, June 1st, I became the director of community initiatives. And part of my job was also to like think of ways of starting a more thoughtful conversation about the ways in which opera 
had been harmful. I should say, I gave myself that charge. No one gave me that charge. I decided that that's something I wanted to talk about. They were nice enough. My, David Levy and the executive team were nice enough to give me space to do so. And so Reimagine the Opera Canon was part of a larger kind of initiative called Reflection and Revision. Hmm. And in that space, we were creating some context around the arts that we were creating. So for a soldier song, we made a video about a soldier's life and some of the before and after situations that can arise through the voice of actual veterans, mm-hmm. um, as well as a medical professional. Mm-hmm. With reflection and revision, we also had uh, moments where we talked to some of the music staff about like what music other than opera influences them so that we can get an idea that like, Music has this wonderful, very large language. And sometimes we get pigeonholed or we kind of stick to one space thinking, or somebody's in a space and we think that they only live in that space when actually they're influenced by many other things in their life. We had to move El Cimarron to actually this season, but there's a a lot of stuff surrounding El Cimarron when it comes to trying to add context to the piece. So we're talking historical context, we're talking about cultural context, we're talking about making sure that we're having a conversation that's not just about like the, the plot summary, the characters, and like the musical elements, but we're really trying to get a better understanding of the themes as a whole. So the time and the place and the characters as a whole in the context of true, true historical context, if that makes sense. Yeah. And so the um, Reimagine the Opera Canon came about because I have, these are are the things that my friends and I have been talking about for years. And so I was like, when I got the space to say that, to to start talking about this stuff, I was like, I know who I want to ask to just like sit down and have a conversation. It's never meant to be like a lecture of like us talking about as like the authorities of anything. It's really just a place for us to share our our thoughts with each other and with the world and to hopefully push forward the conversation about like maybe the idea of the canon and the, the, the way in which we see the canon is very, very constrictive and as uh, Tanya Ratzwa said, is actually not a complete picture of what classical music was historically. Because so many people were left out of the conversation, out of textbooks, we don't have a complete history of Mm. the, we are not taught the complete history of Mm. uh, classical Mm. music. And therefore, when we talk about the canon, it's not really a full picture. So trying to push the limits of that yeah yeah we'll link the a lecture so that uh, our listeners can see it can you can you do me a favor and stop calling it a lecture because it's not a lecture because like i am not an author i feel like lecture has a it makes it seem like (laughs) yeah it makes it seem very academic and it's like there's a part of me that's like it we are scholars of our own experience i get that but i i also don't want people to go in there thinking that they are going to be dictated to like they would at a lecture within the academy. It's right, not right. meant to be that way. Sure, totally. Sure. Yes. It's I more guess. like a round table, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. yeah. What kinds of people were on the, who was there basically? <laughs> <laughs> okay. So uh, like I said, they're my friends. <laughs> so you can look at their bios yeah. on the webpage. You can see where her scholarship lies. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was just wondering, like, what for listeners to think about how to look for tools for themselves beyond this roundtable, 
what kinds of things they might look to into to find out you know more and look into more things that's why i'm asking the question basically if does that make sense no it does but i think that honestly that it's not in the day and age that we are in, it is not hard to find resources. Thankfully, many, many people have been uh, having these conversations virtually. So like a simple Google search, um, you'd be able to find information. I know St. Louis did a whole bunch of conversations. Opera America did a whole com- bunch of conversations. Yeah. Honestly, if you go to Dallas Opera's channel, you'll see conversations with Christiane and Quo. They've been doing this for a long time and are extremely insightful and very knowledgeable. Uh, it's pretty easy to find resources. Yeah. I personally also like to look at resources outside of the context of opera. I like to mm-hmm. look at theater and dance because I think they're also having very interesting conversations. Mm-hmm and thoughtful conversations about how to help classical, predominantly white, classical arts, predominantly white organizations move towards a space of anti-racism, especially when it comes to ways in which we can change policies, company policies to create a space of belonging. Gotcha. Yeah. I agree, Veronica. There are Google searches are easy to do these days. Definitely. But thank you for the resources you did just offer us because I will I will look them up and link them in our show notes for folks as a jumping off point. And you might also, I mean, if there are people who are interested in like another Philadelphia artist, Karen Slack's her Kiki Conversations is also another really good place. Right. She hosts those on her Instagram, I think. So we'll find we'll find those too. So what other conversations or questions does Opera Philadelphia do and how are they facilitated for the company to accomplish the missions that you've talked about? Well, I mean, we're on a constant, ever-going journey to really look into the ways in which we can be better people, which will then in turn change the way in which we are as an organization. We actually started this a tiny bit before the pandemic actually happened. A journey of, of looking at our, the way in which we are made up, looking at our own company culture, looking at our policies and the ways that we hold space or do not hold space for people. And so we're asking our, ourselves about, like I said, the policies within our organization that actually create barriers for people. Okay. The ways in which we do hiring searches, the ways in which we <laughs> we even organize ourselves as an organization. So does it have to be so hierarchical? Is there a space for power sharing? How do we bring in the community voice within our spaces so that they feel like they have agency to in the art making that is happening? And granted, again, these are still questions we are trying to find answers to and really dive deeply into Uh, ways in which we can create a better understanding of these questions and maybe find some answers. But these are the things that we're kind of asking ourselves. Our staff has gone through an intentional kind of, I guess some people would call it training, but I like to call them conversations or learning spaces where we've been going through some various materials about implicit bias and, and talking about microaggressions in order to help A, bring those things to the surface and have an honest conversation about it mm-hmm. so in hopes that it can change the way in which we have conversations with each other and change the culture of the company. Um, we've had outside facilitators come in to uh, talk with us to help us learn and broaden our understanding of just our cultural competency as a, as a group. Mm-hmm. And those are really important conversations to have because if people do not feel like they can walk into 
our space and be their authentic selves, we will never be able to have a space of true belonging. And so really trying to do the best we can. We will make lots of mistakes because we're human, but we're doing the best we can and then pushing ourselves to do even better because that's what needs to happen. Right. 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 Well, and I, I, I love that you're underscoring just the fact that this is, this is going to be a perpetual process, right? Mm -hmm. If we're, if we're Mm -hmm. really, if we're really committed to anti-racism work and really, and really just committed to improving humanity around us, that means a commitment to a constant conversation with yourself and the people around you about how you can be better. Because certainly we see people in lots of spaces who you know, as they're becoming aware of the ways in which white supremacy is just like operating everywhere, you know, they want it, they want an easy fix. And it's just like, we don't have the, we don't have, (laughs) there's no one answer to this problem. And it's going to be a lot. We've, we've got hundreds of years of history with this problem. It's not going to go away just because, you know, all of a sudden you're aware of it. (laughs) Exactly. And you have to actively work against it because otherwise we will easily fall back into the ways of of a past. And my favorite, I don't remember who said it, it's not my analogy, but the idea that if you have a, one of those walking paths that you have in the airport where you can stand still and it's like a flat escalator and on one end is anti-racism and on the other end is racist behavior. If you're walking towards the racist behavior, you're being racist. If you stand still, but the, the, the mechanism is moving you towards racism, it's still problematic. In order to be anti-racist, you have to turn around and walk the other way. It is an act. It's an active thing. It is not something passive. Right. And so it is not an easy fix. You're totally right. It's not an easy fix. Right, right. right. I love I love that analogy, actually. Yeah, <laughs> that's good. <laughs> yeah. I love that analogy. I'm actually, since the pandemic, outside of my singing work, I'm working in the Catholic Church to kind of do the same kind of cultural change into you know, start to integrate anti-racism policies there as well. And that speaks so much to the same work we're doing there too. Like I was saying before we started recording, like we talked to a lot of individuals, like from their perspective as like a singer or even as someone who starts something from scratch and it's like, it's small, maybe it will be bigger in the future. I'm very glad to talk with you about larger organizations that have been around for so long, like Opera Philadelphia, or so much longer, you know, because it's constant work and you you can't just like tear it all down. You have to like kind of learn how to navigate through what's already in existence. And it seems like you're saying it starts with the employees and continued conversation and on like improving themselves and their awareness and of their surroundings and other other perspectives, correct? I mean, I, I think it takes all of us in order to change the world. I will say there is a version where we tear it all down. There is a version where we burn it all down. Right. That That is a possibility. But what I'm saying is that I like the idea of trying to work together to try to create change and trying to create change in a thoughtful way. And sometimes that means you have to leave people behind. Mm-hmm. But that is not the, my first instinct to do it. But there mm-hmm. is a world where we just walk away. 
Right. <laughs> so I just want to be clear. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. No. Yeah. Well, and I think too, can't I think is not the right word. Can't because you can. Yeah. yeah right. 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 Well, I think I think like what I I feel like I'm hearing, which is a, I think a important dimension to this conversation, is like so many of us feel frustrated, especially if we belong to a marginalized community about the fact that we've not been included in the conversation or in the art making in a real way, or we can't authentically be ourselves, you know? And I think like in that frustration, there can often be a narrative of like, ah, the institutions are to blame. And like you said, at least like tear them all down. But what I'm loving that I'm hearing from you, Veronica, is like this actual focus on like, yes, the institutions have to change, but even if the institutions have to change, like it has to start on the personal level too. Like you don't mm -hmm. create a culture of change unless everyone within that culture is committed to it and to doing Perfect. the work on themselves. Correct. A hundred percent. It is a, a communal effort and it starts at the individual level. I've always loved Upper Philadelphia. Now I just love it even more. <laughs> <laughs> but we have our problems though. We have like, we are, we are not the, the pinnacle of success when it comes to this. We are still working on it, but right. we are trying. We are trying. Right. We're part of the organiza organizations who are looking to try to create change in the space because we can yeah. no longer operate in the way that we've operated before. It's right. too harmful. Right. What do we think is the thing that opera as a whole is going to be the, the stumbling block? I, I do think that as a whole, opera has a, a very difficult time of imagining a world that is outside the status quo, where people have voices that all, all of the marginalized identities have agency and power within their spaces. It's not that people don't have a desire to create that space. I think they just don't know what that means because they can't envision it. Mm -hmm. And because of their deficit mindset, thinking that there's only this much of the pie that is available, they think by giving up some of their power, then that means less power for them, which is not the case. Power right. is is ever around us and abundant if we're willing to get it through the lens of abundance. Right, right. I totally agree. I mean, and I think culturally we sh we're going to struggle, you know, I think with the fact that like opera, you know, not everywhere and not always to the highest degree, but I think like, you know, there is a culture of kind of preservationist art mm -hmm. in the way, that, the lens of which we look look at our art form through, you know, which makes it harder, I think, for people to, well, it's like, well, I, I only know Carmen the way I've seen Carmen, 50, you know, over the last 50 years, how can we possibly do something different with it, right? Yeah. And I think that's actually Melissa Dunphy talked about that a little bit in the Reimagine the Opera Canon. I think she called it the the museanification of our, our mm. of our works. And like because people sometimes find it hard to think outside of the box of what they're used to seeing and the traditions, like sometimes those that live outside of that are seen as less than, even though they are beautiful and wonderful and and really true works of art, but because they don't fit into that box that we like to put things in, because we're humans and people like to categorize things. But right. I, I would say we're past the point of, at least in opera space, where opera has to be this very confined thing. I think opera can be a multitude of things and may not look exactly like it did in the 1800s. Right, right. Well, and I mean, I think like, to me, the beauty of opera is how expansive it is. You know, it's like we're taking mm -hmm. we're taking the complexities and just like how big human emotion can be and giving it a stage 
you know, a, a, a way to express exactly how big and complicated and messy it is, mm-hmm. you know, and it's like, we're not living up to like the actual art form itself, in my opinion, when we kind of put this reductionist thing on it. And, you know, certainly there's a time and a place for historical performance practice, you know, like, and I think that's an important thing to understand, like where we've, we've come from and where we're going to. But I don't think that we can do that anymore without doing you know, kind of the work that you guys have been doing with Opera Philly, where it's like these conversations around, we need to contextualize this and talk about why it's problematic and what does this mean for a modern audience? And like, let's talk about why this is difficult material. I was trying to think of how to say the opposite, the opposite question. Like, what do you feel like the most excited or positive about the direction that Opera Philly and our maybe opera industry as a whole I think I'm the most excited. I can't say about the industry as a whole because fair, yes. I think that that is a a very wide swath of of people that are in varying degrees of the the continuum of cultural understanding. So I like I I can't talk about that just mm-hmm. yet. I just don't have the language for it. But I do think I am excited about the 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 space that I am in with Opera Philadelphia and the conversation of knowing we don't know enough and willing to learn more. I like that space. It has not always been this space. We have not always said, we don't know this. Let's go and find some more, somebody who can help us learn, or let's go and look at resources to learn, uh, to learn from. It has not always been the case. I think I'm excited about that and the possibility of community building. I'm a, a collaborator by nature just because of the way in which I like to make art. And so the the work in the office feels very similar to the work that I do as an artist. And so I, I like that community building and relationship building. I think that is really important. And for me, I feel like that's the, the way forward is trying to create community with people. And I know we use the word community and it can be, <laughs> and that could be the, 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 the problematic word in the, in the room because what community do you mean? Community is such a, a large term, mm. but I mean community as in like fellowship, as in like relationship with various people in the world. And so the idea of creating relationships and just really being in conversation with people about creating art. And I, I do want to say one thing. <laughs> I was thinking about what you said myself and like the idea of, of creating art that not only looks back but also looks forward Mm. and the idea that there's a lot of conversation about like whether or not things such like as a madama butterfly or a showboat are really helpful for this conversation and so that's where I get a little bit stuck about like how much is there enough contextualization that can happen around a piece right that can make it feel I'm doing air quotes. Okay. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know? Right. And so that, I think that's where I, my struggle is as an artist too, because I've been in a butterfly. I've sung the cousin. I've been in places and spaces where the direction that was given to me felt horrible because of the language that was used around it. And I'm not even of that identity. Right. And so right. like, where's the line and who gets to say, enough's enough sorry no no I mean I think that's a fair point and I think like the people who gets to say to me would be the people from the community 
of whom those stories are about. And I would agree with that. But in opera companies, most of the time, those are not the people with the agency to do so. Right. And so how do we change that? How do right. we give the power to the people who really, that is their li- lived experiences as in like the identity, maybe not as a geisha, you understand what I'm saying. Right. Um, but right. how do we do that? How do we create a space where people right. have a right. voice in that? Yeah. Yeah. Mm, and that's question. the stuff that's actually exciting to me about upper philadelphia is because we're starting to talk we're just starting to talk about those things and having those conversations and that excites me because that means people are starting to think critically about the way in which we engage in art making but also as a like community organization and not just i shouldn't say this it, it sounds diminutive but not only an arts organization right that's so powerful do you have any other questions? I have so much to think about. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> yeah. Thank you so much for coming on and talking with us and, and just giving your insight. Oh, thank you for having me. <laughs> it was a great time. I had a great conversation. Yay. Awesome. Yay. We will link all of your ways that people can learn more about Opera Philadelphia in our show notes. So thanks again. It's great. That's it for today. This podcast was created for all the opera singers out there getting shit done. So keep on keeping on, people. If you enjoy our podcast, please rate and review it to help spread the word. You can also support the podcast through Patreon, where you can get early access to episodes, merchandise discounts, workshops and resources, and ad-free episodes. And you did hear that right, people. We now have merch. Find out more about all of this at mysocalledoperalife.com. Still can't get enough of us and want to add your voice to the conversation? Join us for our weekly coffee chats every Wednesday morning at 10 a.m. Eastern on Instagram Live at MSCOL Podcast. This podcast is produced and hosted by Elise Mark and Marcel McGurk and edited by Joshua Wise. Questions or comments? Email us at info at my so-called operalife.com. We are glad to have the Sparkle Twins back as sponsors for season three. Sharice and Sharicia Williams are identical twin sopranos from Brooklyn, New York. Their business offers mouth masks to protect you from unwanted germs and conversations with cute phrases like, yes, I am an opera singer. And no, I will not sing for you. Check out their shop at www.sopranotwins.com shop.